Why is Jesus Christ unique? What makes Jesus so different from other great men in history, from other religious leaders and other faiths? Discover nine powerful truths on the absolute uniqueness of Jesus Christ. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I am a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word, I believe his word, and I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, this morning, we will be continuing with the same series that, uh, that we've been um, doing for the last two Sundays. It's called Reasons. And uh, we've covered two different top topics over the last two weeks. And today, the topic that we are going to look at is, why is Jesus Christ unique? Why is Jesus Christ unique. Now, there will be little dispute to um, saying that Jesus Christ is a historical figure. There will be very little dispute to that. And um, very many ancient sources, writings, prove it again and again. A few examples would be uh, Thales, a historian, uh, in AD 52, that's you know, a few years after Jesus was crucified, he has written about Christ's crucifixion. So you could tell that somebody has written what they've watched. So uh, there are historians who've written about Jesus and his life. Cornelius Tacitus, he's one of the greatest historians of ancient Rome. And he writes about Jesus being tried by Pontius Pilate. And um, Josephus, you know, another very um, stark example, he's a court historian who are usually very well-trained and skilled to record incidents that are happening around them. And he writes in the Antiquities of the Jews, and, um, you know, he's no supporter of Jesus, but he writes about Jesus in 97 AD, and he also, um, you know, puts down the steps or, or, or the incidents in Jesus' life. So uh, it is proven over and over again by very many writings that Jesus is no mythical figure. He is a real person, human being in flesh and blood who walked the face of the earth. Dr. Michael Grant from the Cambridge University, he says that in recent years, no serious scholar has ventured to postulate the non-history of Jesus. So uh, there's few or far between, in fact, none at all who come forward and postulate that Jesus did not exist. Because to prove that is, is almost impossible. So Jesus did exist, and he is a real person. Historian Will Durant, in, in 19 of uh, very prominent ancient sources, he talks about uh, Jesus, and I mean, it's his compilation or collection, and he proves over and over again that Jesus is a real person. So given that Jesus is a real person, he's, he's not just a figment of our imagination, what do we do with this Jesus? What can we do about this Jesus? 
Is he um, just a teacher, a good teacher, a prophet, or some kind man, a leader of many people, and should we just um, follow him? Should we, should we um, worship him and think he's God? What do we do with this Jesus? What do we do with this Jesus Christ? This morning, we're just going to bring to us uh, several unique features of Jesus Christ. And this is for each one of us to think for ourselves the claims that he made about himself, the claims that the Bible makes about him, the claims that history records about Jesus are all pointing us in, in a certain direction and they prove that Jesus is, is somebody and somebody special. But, but is he just a man? Is he more than a man? And we will examine um, nine different statements and we'll, we'll just try to see where all of this is leading us. And before we begin, we'd just like to say that this today's service is, um, is going to explore the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And in no way is, is any of the fact or, or um, you know, statement that is made from the pulpit today to demean other people's thoughts, faiths, or beliefs, um, or even philosophies. But what we're trying to do is we're just trying to examine facts and we're trying to look at where this is going to lead us to do something about this Jesus Christ that we definitely cannot ignore. So the statements that we will be looking at one by one uh, are Christ's claims for himself, what Jesus said about himself, the Bible's statement about the deity of Christ, the Bible's statement about Christ's absolute uniqueness, the incarnation and virgin birth of Christ, his life, work, teaching and impact on history, the sacrificial death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the provision of salvation through faith in Christ, the power of Christ to transform, heal and deliver. So we are going to be um, you know, looking at every single one of these statements very briefly. Uh, if we had the time, we could explore it in depth, but unfortunately, uh, we won't be able to do that. So we'll just run over um, every single point very briefly this morning. So the first thing that we are going to uh, consider is Christ's claims of himself. Now, we all said he's a real person. He walked the earth, and uh, very many people have written about him. It's one thing for others to write something about you. It's another thing for you to stand up and claim um, certain things about yourself. And in what Jesus said and did in his ministry, he said several things about himself. And many of which will, would have raised the eyebrows of people at those times. And uh, we're sure they do even today. Now Jesus made statements like, I am the bread of life. John 6.35 he stands up and says, I am the bread of life, meaning to all who will ever be born, I am the one who can satisfy them. And, and he means it in every way, spiritually especially. And he says, I am the bread of life. I am the one who satisfies you. Jesus also said, I am the light of the world. Very daring indeed. He says, I am the light of the world. He's not referring to anything or anyone but himself. And he says, if you want to see, uh, you know, you want to be enlightened, you need light for life, for direction, then I am the light. I don't just give you the light, but I am the light. Jesus also said, before Abraham was, 
I am. And uh, I'm sure at that time, when Jews understood what he was trying to get at, they would have been extremely offended. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And he's claiming equality with God. Jesus also said, I am the door of the sheep. So Jesus is making statements that give him a higher position than a human being. And he said it about himself. He also said, I am the resurrection and the life. Which human being can claim these things confidently and boldly? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine and very many others. What do we do with the claims of Jesus? What do we do with what he had to say about himself? Now, John records uh, in his revelation of Christ, he records certain things that Jesus spoke to him at that time. And he says that uh, he's put it down. Uh, and in Revelation 1.18, the Bible says that Jesus told him that I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. No, a human being cannot claim that. I am the Alpha and the Omega, Revelation 22, 13. So Jesus is pointing to himself being God, being someone who is equal to the Father. So what does this reveal about Jesus' understanding of himself? He knew that he's not a mere man. And that is what he was trying to convey to the people. And he was unashamed about it. Uh, John 14, 6, as many of us would, would know by heart, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And very authoritatively, what Jesus is saying in this statement is that there are not many paths, there are not many doors, there, there are no other sources of life but one, and I am the way, the only way, the only path, the only source of eternal life. And he says that unless you go through me, you will not be able to meet the Father. Now, in uh, John 8, 50, 58, what we already looked at, you know, when Jesus said, uh, when Abraham was, I am, only Jehovah God claimed that his name was, I am. And Jesus called himself, I am. And he said that he was one with the Father. Even in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. So Jesus is essentially saying, Father God and I have the same mind. We have the same spirit. And so I'm not just a man. And I'm telling you, I'm not just a man. I am equal. I am the son of God. And I was with God before. John 17, 5. You know, Jesus talks about himself and he says, I was already with the father. I was already with the father. When I die and, and I come up to heaven, father glorify me the way I already was. So Jesus is saying that I was already with the father, but I have come to earth. I have come here on earth as an incarnation. And I have done the work of a substitute for us. So these were the claims of Jesus. Now what do we do with these claims? Can we conclude that he's a teacher and he's saying that he's a teacher? Can we conclude 
that he's a religious leader and he's saying that he's just a religious leader. Something for us to think about. Now, what does the Bible say about Christ and the deity of Christ? Jesus spoke for himself. He, uh, he described himself as God. Now, what does the Bible have to say about Jesus? We see that the Bible also records that Jesus is God. John chapter 1, as we turn to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, we'll just read those scriptures. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The scriptures tell us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So the word was with God. The word was God. If we just jump to verse 14, we will see that the scripture points to the word becoming flesh, meaning the word or God becoming a person. And verse 14 is telling us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And we all know the gospel of John was, was written by John and it was written about Jesus. So he's just giving an introduction to the life of Jesus. And he's saying, the man who walked with us, he's not just man, he's God. So the Bible records that Jesus is deity and he's not a mere man. Philippians chapter 2, when Paul writes about Jesus, even he says in, in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6, who being in the form God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So even Paul understood that and he said, He's equal to God, but he humbled himself. He walked the face of the earth, and he must have a reason why he walked the face of the earth and gave up all his grandeur and glory that he had in heaven. So the Bible is also claiming deity of Christ. And there are other statements uh, in the Bible, not just statements, incidents. If you research a little bit, you would find that that. All of them are pointing towards the uniqueness of Christ. One of these examples we already dealt with last week, and it's about uh, prophecies about Jesus Christ. The Old Testament says that Jesus will, will be born, he will be born of a virgin, and you know, the Messiah. And uh, Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. Um, there was this mathematician and astronomer, Peter Stoner, who examined the prophecies about Jesus. He took up 48 prophecies and he tried to check whether Jesus fulfills um, any of them or, or all of them. So he began, um, you know, with, with uh, an unbiased thinking. And as he dealt with these prophecies to him, if he could at least uh, ensure that, that he examined eight very well and if they pointed, you know, to, to Christ being the fulfiller of these prof prophecies, it would be a great thing. Uh, and when he did the first batch of examination, um, you know, he, he says that Jesus fulfilled every single one of those eight prophecies. And the chance of any human being, any man for that matter, to fulfill eight prophecies means that it is one in 
um, 10 followed by 17 zeros. Okay, so that it's that minuscule. And Jesus fulfilled eight of those prophecies. But the good news is that all the 48 prophecies that Peter Stoner picked up to study, Jesus fulfilled every single one of them and very precisely. And, you know, Peter Stoner writes that the, the probability of any one man fulfilling all these 48 prophecies is 1 in 10 followed by 157 zeros. Don't even know how to say that number. But yes, so it is, again, you know, that minuscule. So Jesus' life, you know, as the Bible points out, it shows us that it's a unique life. There's something special about this Jesus. And Paul, uh, Peter Stoner understood this. It is said that he began as a skeptic, but the life of Jesus disturbed him. He couldn't just know about Jesus and do nothing. He had to um, you know, think about the other claims that Jesus made. So Jesus is unique, and that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that there is no other way for salvation. Salvation is found in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So the Bible is saying that there is one name for salvation, and that name is the name of Jesus. And the Bible also tells us that there is only one mediator. We won't be going through all the scriptures, but you know, um, um, you will have the notes online, so you, you can go through all the scriptures. We'll just skip through a few this morning. So in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, the Bible tells us there is only one mediator between man and God, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. So the Bible doesn't confuse us about who Jesus is. And even the Bible is pointing us in a direction uh, about what we can decide regarding Jesus. The next thing that we can uh, examine is regarding incarnation and the virgin birth of Christ. Now, why would this matter at all? You know, why would you need to examine uh, whether Jesus was incarnated or whether he uh, had a virgin birth? Because if he is God incarnate, then he definitely must have done everything that was prophesied about the Messiah, and he would have, um, you know, fulfilled all the demands of justice that God had for the earth and the people. But we see that the Bible claims that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin, unlike all other human beings who are born in sin. And, um, you know, the Bible says that, that they're born with, with the seed of death. And so the thing that the Bible claims about Jesus is that he was not born in sin and that he was born by the power of the Holy Spirit to Mary. And Jesus also lived a sinless, cli sinless life. And all of these are important because this will mean that this God-man who fulfills, um, you know, the, he who fulfills the need to be one representative, one substitute, one sinless person actually did all of that. And because he fulfilled all of that, his death on the cross means something. Otherwise, it would mean nothing because he would just be another human being who was uh, executed and his substitution would have no meaning for us. So Jesus being the incarnation of God and then paying the price is important. 
because he was absolute or he was perfect and the work that he did is complete nobody needs to do anything more to gain salvation he did it all and he completed the work and we can depend on that and he was authoritative about this he talked about this about it all his life and he did it he told his disciples i'm going to die i'm going to rise up and you know i'm going to the father so he talked about it and he was unashamed of this life of incarnation that he lived here on the face of the earth and he was supernaturally natural because he was born of a virgin he was not a regular human being and the bible tells us that through the life of jesus god has spoken god has spoken he has declared the one word and that word is jesus hebrews 1:3 says in these days god has spoken to us through jesus and that's the word that god gave the world and said one solution problem fixed and the name is jesus the name is jesus christ now very many would would also wonder you know why not have another avatar as as you know uh, you call it uh, for someone else to come and maybe pay pay uh, the price a little more but what we are saying this morning is that if there is a need for another avatar or another incarnate of god to come here on earth and pay the price it would mean that what jesus did first of all that jesus is not perfect and the second thing would be that the work that he did is not good enough but the bible claims that the work that he did is complete and that is why jesus is unique because he is the incarnate of god and he was born of a virgin now all of this set aside let's just think about the life of jesus you know the speaker who who taught the people what kind of life did he have did his life say anything about him uh, being more than a human being we can just look through um maybe we'll go through some of the quotes that uh, historians have put down about jesus and i'd like to read to you from an essay um a very beautiful essay written by dr james allen in uh, 1926 and we'll just consider excerpts from this essay it's from one solitary life and please bear with me as i read through a long portion but you know just listen attentively and he writes nearly 2000 years ago in an obscure village a child was born of a peasant woman he grew up in another village called nazareth where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30 then for 3 years he became an itinerant preacher he healed the sick cast out demonic powers calmed the raging storm multiplied food to feed the hungry and most important of all he taught the principles of an unseen kingdom that radically challenged human thinking this man never went to college or seminary he never wrote a book he never held a public of office he never had a family nor owned a home he never put his foot into a big city or traveled even 200 miles from his birthplace and though he never did any of these things that usually accompany greatness throngs of people followed him he had no credentials but 
himself. While he was still young, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His followers ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and sentenced to death on a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, the simple coat he had worn. His body was laid in a borrowed grave provided by a compassionate friend. But three days later, this man arose from the dead, living proof that he was, as he had claimed, the savior whom God had sent, the incarnate son of God. 19 centuries have come and gone, and today the risen Lord Jesus Christ is the central figure of the human race. On our calendars, his birth divides history into two eras. One day of every week is set aside in remembrance of him, and our two most important holidays celebrate his birth and resurrection. On church steeples around the world, his cross has become the symbol of victory over sin and death. This one man's life has furnished the theme for more songs, books, poems, and paintings than any other person or event in history. Thousands of colleges, hospitals, or orphanages, and other institutions have been founded in honor of this one who gave his life for us. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the governments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned have not changed the course of history as much as this one solitary life. And there's that much to talk about this one simple life that changed the course of history. And that is his life. That is his ministry. That is his impact that people gather even today to worship this Jesus Christ. And very many leaders have also understood who Christ is. And Napoleon Bonaparte, an emperor of France, you know, says about Jesus, I know men, and I tell you, Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of compromise. And he says names of very many leaders, Alexander, Caesar, so-and-so, and all of them. They have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creations of our genius? And he says, upon force. Upon our might. We ruled by might, by force. But Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions would die for him. And that's the difference. His life, his character, his ministry, his impact is such that Napoleon Bonaparte says, yes, he's a leader, he's a world leader, but he did it with love. And even today, millions would die. They would just give up everything for him. Who is this Jesus? Who is he? Is everything that he claims about himself true? What the Bible talks about him, is it all true? Something for us to think and ponder. We could also examine the death of Jesus, the sacrificial death of Jesus. You know, as the Bible says that one man died for the sins of many while we were still sinners. Christ died for us and he's the perfect lamb of God who was slain for us. He is the substitute or the one man 
who was needed to pay the price of sin for all of humanity, all that were ever, you know, um, after his death, yes, everyone who believes in him can have salvation through his death. Atonement. And so he established, he, he paid for all the demands of uh, the heavenly father and justice and judgment on sin and Satan was um, accomplished by his sacrifice. And as we've already seen, what he did was complete. You don't need another person. We don't have to do it through our lives. But Jesus completely paid the price. And he paid it for everyone, um, people from any race, any people group, any tribe. You know, give us a name. And, and the Bible says that he paid for everybody. So his work is complete. He triumphed over sin, sickness, and Satan. And we uh, even see that during his life, his ministry here on earth, when he healed the people, it was just um, you know something uh, to show of what will happen after he is crucified and people believe in him, that he will be the one who carries all their sicknesses, all their griefs, and bring healing to people. So he, he was triumphant. And he also transformed lives through what he did. Many lives and millions of lives as Napoleon just said. So as we examine this um, life of Jesus, many points converge to one thought about him. They give us a couple of options, but, but we look, look at those options later. But there is a question, a disturbing question. What do we do with Jesus? What do we do with his life? And one of the most disturbing incidents to, to any skeptic about the life of Jesus is the resurrection. Yes, he did many miracles. Uh, that could also be disturbing. But the most disturbing is the resurrection of Christ. And there are many theories that have come forward, uh, questionable theories, because they're not proven yet. Um, you know, this, the fraud theory, hallucination theory, and so many other theories that uh, try to counter the resurrection incident. Uh, but today we'll be sharing a few, some evidence from uh, the work of Josh McDowell, and we look at a couple of them. Now what we're saying is that uh, we're, not, we're not talking about these pieces of evidence alone, separately, but all of these pieces of evidence are very strongly throwing a question at a skeptic who says that resurrection never happened, and, and the answers to these questions are not yet found. So the first question would be, how did the Roman seal, which was put on the on the um, the tombstone of Jesus, how did that break? Now we know the story when Jesus uh, was Jesus died, he was buried, and then he rose from the dead. The stone was moved away. The stone was moved away, and to be able to do that, uh, there was a seal in the, uh, a, a seal given by the Roman government which had to be broken. But breaking the seal would mean not keeping the law of the Roman government under whose authority you are. And the Bible tells us and historical writings tell us that the seal was broken. Who was this daring individual or groups of people who had the courage to go and break the seal while um, there was much security around the tomb of Jesus because Jesus had 
let the cat out of the bag and he said that I am going to rise up on the third day and so the Roman government was waiting and watching let's see who's uh, his disciples going to come and take the body and go so there was tight security and under all of the security the seal was broken and very unfortunately we cannot uh, credit any of the disciples for having done this because they displayed covetous like the grandest covetous even when Jesus was alive you know Peter denied him and a couple of them ran away so it definitely could not have been his disciples but how did the seal break there is no answer to this question there's still no answer to this question with disciplined trained roman guards standing around the tomb how did the seal break the second one is an empty tomb and people tour the empty tomb even today so the body is not there where did the body go there's an empty tomb what happened to the body and what about the large stone that was ro rolled away and it said that it was 2000 kgs okay so uh, we don't know if one strong muscle man who can move the roll 2000 kgs of the tombstone which which covered the the tomb of Jesus overnight and for the body to be taken away so how did this large stone get rolled up a slope in fact up a slope and there's no proper answers to that and the fleeing of roman guards in terror the fleeing of roman guards in terror now the roman guards are some of the toughest well trained men and definitely in this case for jesus's burial and resurrection i'm sure that they would have posted the best of their men but it is recorded that these men ran away for fear what could have transpired what could have happened why were these men afraid and why did this roman guard flee the grave clothes also tell a tale the grave clothes of jesus it is said that you know um uh, there there are theories that say that the body was taken away but it is true that the tomb was not exactly empty because what was found in the tomb definitely no jesus no body of jesus but the linen which was wrapped around him to to place him in the tomb was found when when the jews came back and examined the tomb why would somebody leave the grave clothes in the tomb and only take the body away and the most astonishing thing is that the position and the form of a person it it just lay in the same form undisturbed it wasn't taken and and thrown away somewhere but it just remained in the same position and and the explanation to this is again you know not not very clear how could the grave clothes remain in the same place and not be moved an inch what about the eyewitnesses and and uh, their stories at that time you know when jesus died and he rose again it is said that at least 500 people saw jesus they spoke to jesus in, uh, the road to emmaus the bible talks about it when jesus spoke um, there were people who said it burned within us something special about this man talking and the witnesses these 500 witnesses what do we do with the testimony of these witnesses so the hallucination theory if one guy says that uh, yes i saw jesus i saw the resurrected jesus we could say yes hallucination maybe 
Another guy joins in and says, I saw Jesus too. Another person is hallucinating. But if 500 people say that they saw Jesus and it's all historically recorded, what do you do with the witness of 500 people? And the best witness is that which comes from enemies, hostile people, skeptics. And so the writings of you know, very many who were not even believers in Jesus point to the same fact that says that on the third day, he wasn't around. He, he was nowhere to be seen. Thomas, one of his um, most unbelieving, I don't know if you can say that, but he said that he couldn't believe that Jesus came back to life. But Thomas, his own disciple, confirmed that he saw Jesus. And Saul of Tarsus, who's a per who was a persecutor at that time, he also claims to have met Jesus and that Jesus transformed his life. So there are pieces of evidence around the resurrection that are also saying that what is recorded in scripture is true. It's true historically. Theories have not been able to prove that the resurrection did not take place. The provision of salvation through simple faith in Christ. Now, this is something that we will look at um, a little bit. The teaching of Jesus is unique. His philosophy is not that you know you you come to me and I will just teach you the ways of life. I'll give you some life skills. You you can be good at work. You can do you know you can do better in life. But it's much more than that. And he never taught us to earn this place in his heart or salvation through the works which we do. But Jesus had a uniqueness in what he taught, in what he proclaimed. And he proclaimed a very certain, assured salvation just by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus. And he also said that you can experience the power of the salvation right here, right now. You don't have to wait for the end of the age and eternity and all of that to experience the power of God. But right now, you and I can experience the power of becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. So it was more than a new philosophy. And it was definitely not religion. Because what Jesus was talking about was becoming a new person and having a personal relationship with God, however absurd that sounds. But those were the teachings of Jesus. And he is confident, authoritative, unashamed in saying that only through me can you see these things. And finally, the power of Christ to transform, heal, and deliver. And when you see, hear about the power of God that is healing people, delivering people, what do you do with it? What is it saying about Jesus? We know that during his time, during his ministry, Jesus did many miracles. He set, set people free, but he also taught his disciples to do the same thing. And he said that in my name, you will see all these mighty works happen before your very eyes. The power of God and the power of Christ. And Jesus also said, you know, he said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. In his ministry, through the times of his disciples, the early church, right now, the power of God glares us in our faces. What do you do with this man? What do you do with this Jesus? 
So finally, we've come to that place where we are asking the question, what's my take on Jesus Christ? What's my take on who Jesus is? Now, John Stott writes, he says that no man having heard about Jesus, having known something about Christ, his claims, no man can just walk away. Because for him who believes, it causes them to worship. But for him who has not arrived at a decision, there's a tug which says, what are you going to do with me? What are you going to do with this Jesus Christ? And for those who may not believe, there are some you know, dis disturbing facts that, that you know, Jesus puts forward and, and history records and, and, and questions their belief. And so about Jesus, what can we conclude? Can we say that um, you know, he, there are four options that you can give Jesus um, titles of. And these four options that you can choose from, the first one is that he was probably a liar. You know, everything he claimed about himself, it's not true. Don't believe that. Or you could say that he's lunatic. You know, sometimes you're just off your, you just say all kinds of weird things. And probably Jesus did that too. And he's lunatic and he, and he claimed uh, very many things. You could also say that it's legend. It's so beautiful to listen to the life of Jesus and the things he did. But it's, it's mythical. We already proved that Jesus is not mythical. So I, I'm sure you can cross this off your option list. So Jesus is historical. But the final conclusion that you and I can come to is that Jesus Christ is truly who he claims he is. He is the Lord and he is God. The first two options of him being a liar and him being lunatic, liar, no way, because the lives of the people that he touched are testimony to the fact that his teachings work. People are basing their lives on his teachings and doing well. And how could you say that this man lied to people and, and you know, said all kinds of things about himself? And definitely not a lunatic, because even leaders in the world credit great character to, to this man, God, Jesus Christ. And he's definitely not a lunatic and, of course, not a legend, folklore. But he must be Lord. He must be Lord. We just want um, us to stay with this thought and um, examine for ourselves, you know, all, all the statements that, that we looked at this morning are pointing us in the direction that Jesus Christ is someone unique, someone special. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.